Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of cooking slash baking. So, Casey, what are you making this week? So, I decided that since H.H. Holmes did, who we are covering this week, yep. <laughs> did most of his um, crimes, crimes. Yeah, <laughs> in Chicago, I decided, I mean, what else do we have in Chicago? Pizza. So, I'm making my mom's homemade pizza, and the one thing she does differently is she puts sugar in the crust, like, Quite a bit. Mmm. Ah, oh, it tastes... Delish. Oh, my I gosh. imagine. It's so good. <laughs> and the crust rises so well, so it's nice and fluffy and sweet. My mouth is watering just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we're having uh, Mom's Chicago-style pizza. <laughs> Delish. All right. And, yeah, so we are doing H.H. H. Holmes, who... Yeah, is a Chicago serial killer. Um, he's known as America's first serial killer, actually. Really? So, congrats to him, but not really. Oh, guess what I watched, by the way, while I was prepping for this. Oh, gosh, what? American Horror Story Hotel. <laughs> oh, is he in? Is that what it's based in? Um, Evan Peters' character, yeah. the owner and creator of the hotel, is based off of H.H. H. Holmes. <gasps> Yeah, no so that'll give you a little hint as to what happens in this case, if you know American Horror Story. Also, side note, Evan Peters' character in that season is named James Patrick March, mm-hmm. and my brother's name is Patrick James, and he was born in March. <gasps> so I'm like, creepy. Ew, I don't like it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Is he Evan Peters or H.H. H. Holmes then? What does that mean? <laughs> I always knew Pat was creepy. Just kidding. <laughs> I always knew. <laughs> Just kidding, Pat. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so, it's 1889. And first we're going to go to France because they opened Exposition Universelle, which was a huge world's fair um, that was the unveiling of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, wait, in 1809 you said? 1889. Oh, obviously I'm listening. Okay, Mm -hmm. 1889. And America was very insulted because (laughs) we're always insulted (laughs) Um, because they thought it was the French showing off how wonderful they are. So we were like, we have to do the same thing. So they opened their own World's Fair in 1893 in Chicago, of all places. And... Uh, the World's Fair ended up having 27.5 million visitors, and the population of the country at the time, America, was only 65 million. So, Jeez. that's most of the country, or a good chunk of the country. Yeah. Um, so, it was a huge, important event, and that is um, Holmes decided to take advantage of all these people coming into Chicago at that time. This is, he actually wrote a memoir, so I'm going to quote from... Oh, memoirs are always the best. I know. I have so many of them. They never make sense. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is how he starts his own story. I'm going to quote it for you. Come with me, if you will, to a tiny New England village nestling among the picturesquely rugged hills of New Hampshire. 
Here in the year 1861, I, Herman W. Mudgett, which is his real name, um, I see why he changed it, yeah. <laughs> uh, the author of these pages, was born, that the first years of my life were different from those of any other ordinary country-bred boy, I have no reason to think. So, clearly he thinks very highly of himself, as mm-hmm. he's like, well, come with me if you will, like, okay. So basically, you just, you were born. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. what an event. Okay, we were all born. (laughs) (laughs) So he was born in Gilmanton Academy, New Hampshire. And as a kid, he was bullied a lot, which, as a kid, that's sad. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, boo-hoo-hoo, you suck. (laughs) 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 He writes of one incident in particular that really shaped him going on later in life he was terrified of doctors um because back then they had like full real skeletons in their offices and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and he was just scared of like all the smells and whatever so two kids dragged him into a doctor's office one time and brought him face to face with one of the skeletons and he was like really terrified of it um But he says later that this proved a heroic method of treatment for my, for his peers, um, destined ultimately to cure me of my fears and bring a strong feeling of curiosity and later a desire to learn, which resulted years afterwards in my adopting medicine as a profession. (gasps) So I need the names of those two bullies. They did, they did. You created a serial (laughs) killer. What were you thinking? No, don't bully. It could create monsters. Yeah, really. But, I mean, also, if it's in you, it's in you. you yeah, know, you're right. Too. And I mean, like, yeah, you can't necessarily, like, a lot of people are bullied. You can't just yeah, be like, I was bullied, so now I kill people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's your fault, not mine. Correlation, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Herman, as he was known then, Grew up with a brother, sister, mother, and father, and they were devout Methodists. Um, who his parents disciplined them with like beatings and prayer, and not that prayer's bad, but like their version of prayer was to banish you to the attic <gasps> and a day of no speaking or food, and you just had to like reflect in prayer. So. Oh gosh. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that's abuse. That would, that would, that would be pretty bad. <laughs> right. Um. So he had only one friend, and his name was Tom, and Tom was killed in a fall while they were playing in an abandoned house. So... How old were they? Uh, it, doesn't, it didn't say. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it, Tom, nothing ever came of that, but a lot yeah. of people suspect he probably did something, because later research of, like, psychopaths as children kind of like violent acts like that they they suspect well don't they usually look for the three things they look for um setting fires Mm -hmm. bedwetting and bedwetting i didn't know that one yeah setting fires bedwetting and then the obvious of hurting animals yeah which he was also yeah so those three things and bedwetting, like, at an older age, I think. Okay, yeah. But those three things are, like, if like, if a kid's doing that, that raises red flags in, like, medical professionals' eyes. Like, they actually ask that on, like, psych. Yeah. When they're, like, valuing for psych reasons. Mm-hmm. Because, 
Yeah, he used to keep hidden boxes of, like, hidden treasures, which would sometimes have animal bones in them. So, <gasps> ding, ding, ding. So, he graduated. I thought he peed the bed. <laughs> he probably did. He just <laughs> left that part out of his memoir. <laughs> I, as a young boy, <laughs> wetted the bed. <laughs> wetted the bed. Oh, God. Um, was it my fault? It was the police. <laughs> yeah. At 16, he graduated. So he was actually, he was like a very smart person. Mm-hmm. And he became a teacher. And he met a woman named Clara A. Lovering. At 18, he asked her to elope with him. And they got married July 4th, 1878. But after they became, after they got married, he was disinterested in her very quickly. Which is a pattern with him. Hmm. He's going to have, like, six wives by the end of this tale. Oh, jeez. Uh, is there any pictures of him? Yes. Uh, was he good-looking? He was, okay. yeah. Interesting. But, Why are they always, like, intelligent and good-looking? I don't know, but he was, like, known for being extremely charming and handsome, and everyone loved him. Oh, yeah. I hate that. Mm-hmm. But... Oh, First wife. so he, he was gone for long periods of time until eventually he just left her without ever divorcing her. You know so, what? At least he yeah. just left her. <laughs> At least that. Right, yeah, like that is the... She got away. She, she's lucky. Yeah. The other ones, mm. Uh, so at 19 years old, he went to college, and that is where he started a long career as a con artist. Uh, he took a job as a traveling book publisher, and instead of turning in the proceeds of, like, selling the books on the road to the author, he kept them. And, um, to avoid being caught, he just left, abandoned his job in the town he was living in, um, and went to Moore's Forks, New York, and they made him a principal. Oh. Of that of a children's school. So <laughs> imagine later you're growing up, you're like, oh, remember our principal, Mudget? He's now a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, in 1889. In New York, there were rumors of a boy that was seen with him who disappeared. And when asked about it, he said that the boy went home to Massachusetts, where he was originally from. And everyone was like, oh, okay, cool. And no investigation happened. So why why was this boy just, like, would this boy hang around with him a lot? I, I don't know. I think because he was, like, the principal, he might have been, like, I need to talk to you, like, somewhere. Oh, I don't so know. he just, yeah, and, okay. Like, disappeared. Yeah. Took the kid under his wing, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he decided teaching was not enough money and started insurance fraud schemes. So he faked the deaths of three people, and at that time you could get, like, a lot of money selling bodies to, like, medical institutions for, like, cadavers. So he would sell the bodies for death benefits, and he got, for the these three deaths in particular, he got $40,000, which is over $1 million in today's money, for, like, selling these bodies that he... Of people he killed? Yeah, yeah. So how did he collect that money for insurance? He was very good at, like, forging documents and saying, like, uh, I was related to this person, or they left this in my name and stuff like that. And no one ever, like, 
looked so, into. He had tons of aliases. So at that point, it wasn't anyone that he had connections to? Like, no. Okay. Yeah, not not these people. They were just random family of three. Wow. Yeah. Um. So after he got his $40,000, he left Moore's Fork in the middle of the night without paying for his lodging where he was staying. He worked in an asylum. Oh, I know. That's the All the things. <laughs> <laughs> he worked in an asylum briefly and then found a position in Philadelphia at a drugstore. And there, a child died after taking medicine from the store. And before anyone could come knocking, he left. That's another pattern of his. He, like, someone will, like, disappear or die and he just leaves. Hmm. And that took him to Chicago. And he got in Chicago July 1886. Um, and he found out that in Illinois, you have to pass a licensing examination. So he faked the results of that examination so that he could become, like, a druggist. And changed his name at this point to Henry Howard Holmes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from now on, he's going to be Holmes. Okay. He was 26 years old at this time, and he decided to live in Englewood Village in Chicago, um, and he saw a drugstore at the intersection of 63rd and Wallace, and at that time, a sweet elderly woman named Mrs. Holton was running it with her husband, but her husband was dying of cancer, so the store was like a burden to her, and he was like, Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a licensed pharmacist. I would love to help you out. I'll take this off your hands. And she's like, okay, you know, like not suspecting anything. And he's like, I'll buy the store from you. You can live upstairs in the apartments. I'll still keep you here, like rent free and stuff. And she thought this was like the most amazing deal. So she was living up there for a short time with her husband. Her husband did die. (laughs) And... Um, at this time, a lot of young women were very excited about the new eligible single doctor because they don't know he's actually married to Clara still. Um, so they would come in all the time, like faking needing medication and stuff to like just talk to him and stuff, which I'm like, ooh, ladies. And, but some of these young women were friends with Mrs. Halton and they, they were eventually we're asking about her like where'd she go how come we never see her anymore and he's like oh she's visiting relatives in california and after that after some time after he started spreading that rumor he said oh she decided to stay there because she liked it so much and she was never seen again oh my gosh she's believed to have probably killed her yeah then at the end of 1886 his Business is booming. He's very popular. Everybody loves him in Englewood. And he remembers a woman he met named Murda Belknap. And she lived in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too far for him. So he would travel to see her and, like, start courting her. And remember, he's still married to Clara. And I know. And he went every few weeks to see her until they married... married because it's not a legal marriage right but she doesn't know that um (laughs) on january 28th 1887 two weeks after they got married he filed for divorce from clara oh clara okay yeah the first one (laughs) the first one okay 
under un- infidelity charges, but he eventually just dropped it because he was like, oh, you know what? I don't want to go to court. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to show up. So That's probably a good idea for you to avoid a <laughs> right. courtroom. And so he's still married to Clara. The divorce oh. never went through because he decided to drop it. Uh, Murda is pregnant in the spring of 1888. Did he have any kids with Clara? No. Okay. And she helped run the drugstore with him, and she said that he had a gentle heart and adored children and animals, never (laughs) drank, never smoked, and she said, I do not think there was ever a better man than my husband. (gasps) So she thinks he, like, is amazing. And... He had her manning the books up in his office, and she got, like, lonely sitting up there. He never visited her while she was working, and she kind of didn't like it. So her parents decided to move to Wilmette, Illinois, to be closer, and Myrda moved in with them, and they had a daughter named Lucy. And all of a sudden, after Lucy is born, he decides, hey, I want to be very attentive to you now, all of a sudden. And... Um, in the summer of 1888, he bought land across the street from his drugstore under another false name, H.S. Campbell, um, which is going to be his hotel, his, oh. which they call the castle, because it was huge. Um, he did not hire an architect for the castle because he wanted to prevent anybody finding out what he was actually building it to do, because he had some bizarre designs for this place. Uh, He wanted retail shops on the first floor and apartments on the second and third floor, which sounds normal, until you look at those designs, which contained, um, and I'll say some more later, but for now, I'll tell you, there's a wooden chute from a secret place on the second floor to the basement, which he covered with axle grease. Guess what that's used for? I don't know. Trapping bodies? Yes. <gasps> oh, God. That's not a laughable moment, but just... Yeah. Ah, it's just so shocking. <laughs> just the fact that someone would do that. Yeah. Um, there was also a room with a large walk-in vault that was airtight and with asbestos covering the walls to soundproof it. So oh. no one would hear what's happening in this secret vault of his. Um, gas jets were embedded all over the walls throughout the building um, that he controlled from his personal office and that's so he could at any time you know release gas in rooms anyone's room and they obviously don't know they're there and kill them there were lots of hidden chamber chambers throughout the building and there was a basement and then a sub basement where he hid what he called in his memoir sensitive material which is wait so i'm confused then who built this he didn't hire an architect did he do all of it so i'm i'm gonna tell you okay (laughs) Um, so he was he hired workers but he was constantly firing people he was always like every other day or at the end of every day just came up with some excuse to hire workers so that they would only work on sections at a time and never like see the full plans and see the whole building to like figure it out and that oh worked gosh. yeah um and then a bricklayer named george bowman was working for him for a very short time and 
he Holmes came up to George and said, Hey, look down there in like this pit. That's my brother-in-law, and I'll pay you 50 bucks to drop a huge stone on his head. And George was like, I'll pass, thanks, and quit after that. Yeah. But he never reported it or anything that Holmes basically just asked him to kill his brother-in-law. You know, I wonder... So, I mean, obviously Holmes was insanely intelligent. Yeah. To the point where he just saw other people as things that he could manipulate, it sounds like. and mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. He's definitely a narcissist, just thinking that he can pop into someone's life and do whatever he wants and then leave whenever he wants. And he definitely got away with it. Yeah. How I just am I'm just shocked. He got away and with how is he not, How is he not more famous? I mean you I know. hear about you hear about like Ted Bundy and I mean I guess maybe like people in our generation well not in our generation, but people we know were alive during that time. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's why we hear about Ted Bundy and, you know, I, Jack the Ripper even. You know, there are yeah. people that we hear about a lot more than H.H. H. Holmes. I know. I think it's so bizarre, too. I think it's because there weren't, there wasn't TV and, like, widespread social media then to, like, mm-hmm. and television to advertise it, like, mm-hmm. like there was in, like, the 80s and stuff. But, I yeah, wonder. it really surprised me. And that's another, you said Jack the Ripper, they're, they were... Um, I just tapped the microphone. Um, they were committing their crimes at the exact same time. Him in Chicago and Jack the Ripper in London. And what? I think that might be another reason why he gets kind of overshadowed. Because Jack the Ripper, even though Jack the Ripper killed five women, officially. Mm-hmm. And Holmes is like, tons. But he still isn't as known. So... I, um, that kind of brings me to the thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, okay. My, uh, this morning I was telling one of my friends that we were covering H.H. H. Holmes, and he was telling me about, like, a conspiracy that actually, um... That they're the same person. Well, yeah, one of his relatives believes, because he had, like, diaries from H.H. H. Holmes and has read them. Ooh. And he, his, his relative, I, his great-great-grandson claims that America's first serial killer which is um, obviously obviously H.H. H. Holmes, mm-hmm. was London, London's notorious Jack the Ripper. Yeah, so, I've heard that too. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that they're the same person. And, like, a family member is the one saying this. Yeah. I, I really need to look into that more, that conspiracy. Because mm-hmm. on the surface, I'm like, how does, that, how does that make sense? Because there's no way you can get from Chicago to London... So quickly, and they were happening at the exact same time. Right. So, I, but I would have to. I haven't looked into it at all. Yeah. So. They say that after. Well, I don't want to give away the end of the story, but after his time in Chicago was over, then he went over and he started being Jack the Ripper. <laughs> That's what this guy claims. Interesting. So he he got the heck out of Dodge. He he conned somebody into. Um, basically falling on the sword for him mm-hmm. and then got out of here and became Jack the Ripper in London. But I, honestly, I think that he would have done a lot more. Is, is it in London? Did I say yeah, that? yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, if he was Jack the Ripper, he would have done a lot more. Yeah. He was. And it's totally, it's like different. Um, Jack the Ripper just like was savage with prostitutes and 
H.H. H. Holmes was like, his thing is to marry as many women as possible and then get their money and yeah. then kill them. So, so it's I very mean, different. This is criminal minds type stuff right here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't change your M.O. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm. I, yeah, I want, I want to look into that conspiracy a little more, though. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so in 1890, the building was almost finished. It had, uh, the second floor had six corridors, 35 rooms, 51 doors, and the third floor had another three dozen rooms. And a lot of, there were a lot of, like, random doors that didn't go anywhere and stuff like that. Like, the whole place was designed to just confuse people. And, um, the first floor had five retail spaces including Holmes' new pharmacy, a jeweler, a barber shop, and a restaurant. Um, and he had, by this time, tons of debt. Um, because every time anyone came knocking for like, hey, you need to pay me back for all of this stuff, um, he would be like, oh, that's um, the owner of the building is H.S. Campbell, because he signed everything under this fake name. Oh. So that he could like redirect the trouble onto somebody else, but really it was him. Right. Um, and even when people got suspicious of this, he was just so charming. He could, like, charm the pants on of anybody, and they'd just walk away. They'd come in angry at him, and they'd walk away, like, best friends. And this happened, like, a lot. Um, and the jeweler who worked for him, C.E. Davis, said, He was the smoothest man I ever saw. Holmes didn't go to jail, either. He was the only man in the United States who could do what he did. So, everybody just loved 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 him wow and that's if i were one of those people who were like oh my god what a great guy and then later i found out i'd be like sick to my stomach like i mean people are like that like you and i know people like that they just they seem one way to to other people and then like behind Mm -hmm. the scenes you realize that they're a completely different person yeah and yeah it's it's just crazy yeah so a druggist named Erickson said Holmes would come in 10 times a week to get chloroform in huge amounts. And Erickson was finally like, I'm not going to sell any more to you unless you tell me what's going on. And Holmes was like, thank oh, you. Yeah, I don't know. And so he never sold to him again. Good. Like, thank you, sir. Yeah. He's like, I mean, don't you need proof? Like, I don't know. Chloroform just seems like. <laughs> what do you even use chloroform for? I don't know. I just know. Well, I don't we like not cleaning? really use it anymore? It's like to knock people out, literally. I mean, that's yeah, that's what people do. But chloroform. Oh yeah, I don't know what it's like. It's, yeah, I only ever hear about normal it in use. Crime, so. I know that's what I'm talking about. Like, is it kind of like bleach? bleach or I'm something? gonna go to the grocery store and get some chloroform. Or something yeah, like wash my floors. I don't, I don't know. know, but I did watch some TikToks where people were like. Sniffing chloroform to see if <laughs> what? What kind of TikTok are you on? <laughs> people are stupid, and so it's amusing. Oh, it's like when people ate Tide Pods. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, so dumb. And that's exactly what happened. They'd be like, chloroform's not actually that strong. And they'd take a whiff of it, and they'd be like, see? And then all of a sudden, you'd see the life leave their eyes, and they're just like, a <laughs> big mistake. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, so on December 15th, 1890, it was announced that Chicago was going to hold this World's Fair. And that's when Holmes was like, oh, I'm going to change my plans and make this a hotel. 
so that oh. people coming here mm -hmm. are going to stay here. Because his location, too, his building was, like, right next to the World's Fair. Wow. So it was just fate, I guess. So he hired a man named Benjamin mm, Pitzel. <laughs> I don't know. Pitzel? I don't know. <laughs> um, and another man named Charles Chapel, who would become, like, kind of his, like, right-hand men. Um, they knew everything that was going on, but they helped mm -hmm. him anyway to help him with like the hotel stuff and a new police precinct opened just down the street from the castle and Holmes actually made friends with all of the officers he knew all of them by name they loved him they would stop by in the morning to watch construction and give Holmes would give them coffee and he'd give them free meals in his restaurant and they they loved him wow yeah and at this point, he's still married to Murda, and her great uncle is kind of suspicious of him because he's kind of like, I think there's money. Because Murda would write to him about like people coming to the castle asking about money, and he's like, mm -hmm. I'm a little suspicious about this. So he came to visit. Um, he did not like Holmes, but even though he came and was like, I don't like you, Holmes still managed to get him to agree to loan him $2,500. What the heck? Yeah. Because he was like, oh, I'm using it to build a new house for me and Murda. Oh, I was just about to say, like, good for this uncle, like, looking out, sees right through the BS. Nope. Mm -hmm. Still gives him money. Come yeah, on. Still gives him money. Uh, I just, yeah. And then Holmes took this banknote of $2,500, forged his signature for a second one of the same amount, and spent both of the banknotes on the hotel. Never got a house for him and Murda. Aww. Yeah. And on this visit, Holmes repeatedly asked her uncle to, like, hey, come check out the roof. Uh, I got stuff I want to show you on the roof. And um, he was like, I am afraid of heights. I don't want to go. And um, this uncle says that he was very persistent, like, repeatedly tried to get him to go, and he kept getting freaked out at that point and then one night he was staying in one of the rooms and he was like you know what I'm just gonna lock my door and in the middle of the night he heard someone like rattling the door trying to get in and um he never got up never opened the door and the next morning he was like it was definitely him he was coming in to kill me Whoa. and Wait, the next morning he said that? Yeah. He didn't say it, like, to anybody, but yeah. later on when asked, like, that's what he said he was yeah. thinking. And he said, if I had gone to the roof, the forgery probably wouldn't have been discovered because I wouldn't have been around to discover it. So wow. he was like, I was definitely, he was going to push me off that roof. But why, if you wanted to kill him, I mean, he owns the place. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't he use one of his keys to open the door if he was that desperate to kill him? Yeah. And I feel like he wanted him to go up to the roof so bad because um, he knew the guy was scared of heights and probably wanted to, like, torment him before then killing him. Yeah. Like, I feel like that, that he was such a psychopath. That was probably his MO where he was <gasps> well, yeah. wanted to get to people's fears first. And see them terrorized and then kill them because people are just messed up like that. Yeah, and then there were people everywhere who probably would have seen this man falling because the construction was happening. So, like, 
he just was so confident he could get away with it saying, oh, it was an accident. Like, probably something like that. He probably got it in his mind that, like, this is how this guy is going to die. And because the fact that he didn't do it some other way just surprises me. The way that, like, okay, well, oh, well, I jiggled the door. It didn't open. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. He seemed too persistent to not if he wanted to kill him i feel like i know i feel like if he wanted to kill him he'd be dead so there's got to be some reason maybe he would like "Mm, maybe i can get more money out of him so i'll just let it go or something like that yeah but either way he lived so that's good for him Um, yeah so next project he was adding to the hotel was to build a huge kiln that could generate temperatures extreme enough to incinerate anything um, and the kiln could also destroy any odor. So, hmm. And when people were building it, they were like, well, what, do, what is this for? What do you need a kiln in a hotel? And he was told people, oh, it's for glass bending. I'm going to open a shop in here for, like, bending glass and stuff. Mm. So people were like, okay, seems plausible. But then another man who came to work on it one day was like, you know, this really doesn't look like the dimensions and, like, the heat temperature and everything that you'd need for glass bending. So that's weird. But then he thought, oh, well, it's probably just, like, in my head and left it out. Left it alone. Uh, So there's, like, yeah, there's so many instances of people being suspicious but just letting it go. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like, it just being a passing thought. Yeah. Like, I just want to mind my own business and get this done. That's crazy. Uh, I know. It is crazy to think about, like, I feel like every serial killer, maybe not murder, but serial killer, has, like, those almost, like, the people that just barely didn't catch them. Right? Yeah. Like, if they would have said one thing to one person, you know, if one thing went differently, then yeah. they wouldn't have gotten away with it. Yeah. If, like, like, the uncle, or the guy who... If he said anything like, hey, this guy just offered me 50 bucks to drop a stone on his brother-in-law's head. If he said anything, like, maybe an investigation would have started. I don't know. Uh, So at this point, a man named Isilius Connor, but he went by Ned, uh, took a job as Holmes' jeweler, moving into the castle with his wife, Julia, and their eight-year-old daughter, Pearl. And Holmes offered... He loved julia right away i say loved as in he thought she was hot and wanted her he loved her (laughs) he took to her right away and was like hey julia come work for me in the drugstore and i'll train you on how to keep like the books and stuff what about murda murda is living with her parents in a house in wilmette illinois with her daughter she's not around oh Mm. but but I thought she'd still come around right now and then, or are they just kind of done? not. Yeah, they kind of just, like, fizzled out because... Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so he starts becoming interested in Julia, and Julia and Ned invite Julia's sister Gertrude to come. So then he becomes very interested in Gertrude as well, and he offers her a job. And that's kind of his way of, like, keeping these pretty women around him all the time. And apparently his type was um, 
typically his type was blonde and blue eyes. Oh, good. So, I only have one of those. Yeah, I only have one of oh, those. Oh, gosh. Well, so. <laughs> Combined with oh, his God. type. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> very Aryan of him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh... So he was very interested in the sisters. Wait, was he Hitler? <laughs> Is that another <laughs> theory? <laughs> uh, wrong time. But, um... Yeah, bad, bad time to make a Hitler joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, he was in the 1800s. <laughs> I thought you were saying, wrong time, Casey, wrong time. Yeah, it's too soon. Too soon. It's always too soon, I'm sorry. <sighs> okay. uh, I got nervous I made a Hitler joke. Sorry. <laughs> That's my default joke when I get nervous. Hitler. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's continue. Okay. So, Ned really liked Holmes, and other people were suspicious that something was going on with him and Julia, but he was like, no, he's too nice. Oh, Poor guy. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor Ned. And one day... He was like, hey, Ned, can you step into this vault and scream really loud? And Ned was like, sure, buddy. So <laughs> Verbatim. So sure thing, buddy. He gets in this vault and starts screaming and Holmes, um, he let him out. And he was like, oh, I just wanted, I was just soundproofing it. I was just seeing if it worked, if and Ned was like, oh, makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Seems and, legit. <laughs> and then later he thought, hmm, why do you need a soundproof room? But he didn't question it anymore. Which, but he said later that that whole incident incident was unsettling. Yeah. So, at the very least. Um, so, at this point, a lot of letters from parents and visits from private detectives coming in search of missing persons were all over Chicago and all over this area. Um, but there was so much chaos in Chicago at the time. Like, people were disappearing left and right. Oh. Um, that a lot of these cases were never solved. Right. Because um, Chicago was becoming, like, the most booming city in America at this time. Especially with the World's Fair coming in. Mm-hmm. There were just... There was tons and tons of crime in Chicago at this time. Even though it was, like... A thriving city there was tons of crime right so only disappearances of like the very wealthy were seriously investigated and even then it was very hard to find anything because it's there's no technology right, or anything right. um so one day gertrude tells ned she's crying and she she says i can no longer stay a single moment left single moment in this castle anymore and she left gertrude yeah, so something, and nothing was ever, she died very shortly after that of an illness, mm. and nothing was ever, I mean, she died, and nobody knows what happened to make her say, like, I can't stay here anymore, and leave, so we'll never know. Gertie. Yeah. <laughs> Gertie. Oh, he actually called her that. Did he really? Yeah, he did. <gasps> Oh, why did I say that? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a little nickname. Oh. Uh, so, at this point, Holmes then offers Ned the pharmacy. Um, he's he's going to sell it to him. And he's like, I'm going to increase your salary to $18 a week. And I'll take care of all the legal details and the transfer and those records. And Ned is like, this is the best deal ever. Thanks. 
I'll do it. Thanks, bud. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, he still thinks they're, like, best buds. So, sad. Um, But really, this offer is, of course, not out of friendship. It's to get creditors and debtors off his back. Mm -hmm. So, at this point, Ned then goes to Holmes for advice with Julia. He's like, I think something's going on with Julia. What should I do? Not suspecting that it's with Holmes at all. Um, and Holmes says, you know what you should do? You should buy life insurance on Julia and <gasps> Pearl. And so that way, when all your troubles are over, she'll, you can tell her, hey, I did this for you. And she'll be like, wow, thank you for the life insurance. Like, that makes absolutely okay. no sense, but that's what he said. <laughs> um, he's like, you, that could be your way of showing her uh, you're protecting her. But thankfully, and he's like, oh, you should do that for Pearl, too, their eight-year-old daughter. And thankfully, Ned was like, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. So the one time he says no to Holmes, he doesn't wow. do the life insurance. Um, so creditors start coming to the pharmacy demanding repayment on mortgages to Ned, because now Ned owns the pharmacy. And he's like, I didn't know about any of this. Aww. What's happening? And he's all flustered. Oh, okay. I feel so bad for Yes, I know on Ned... I'm sorry if anyone listening is named Ned, but it just seems like a very Ned thing to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's very Hufflepuff name. Yes. <laughs> Harry it's Potter. Too, it's too sweet. He's just a nice guy, and he's just trying, and he thinks he has a friend, and his friend screws him over, and he's like, what? No. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> oh, oh, golly. Oh, golly, gee. Yeah, poor Ned. Exactly. Yeah, poor Ned. Um... So at this point, Ned is like, what's going on? I'm having all these problems now. And that's when he finally starts to get suspicious. And he starts believing Julia's having an affair with Holmes. Thank you, Ned. Thank you. He's having his moment. Yeah. Yeah. This is his moment right here. And he's like, y'all suck. Peace out. And he leaves. Thank you, Ned. Yeah. Good for you. He divorces Julia and he fights to get custody of Pearl to take her away because he doesn't like Holmes anymore, but he loses that battle, so that's Oh, well, sad. Yeah. that's sad. Um, and after Ned is gone, it's no longer forbidden, and Holmes is, like, very chilled towards Julia now. So yeah. now he doesn't, he's not as into her? He's not as into her anymore as he oh. was when it was yes. forbidden, right, you know? Right, right. Um, but in November 1891, Julia says... I'm pregnant. <gasps> They're not married. Oh. And Holmes says, okay, finally, okay, I'll marry you since you're pregnant, but you have to get an abortion. What? Yeah, I don't know. And he's like, children can come later. We can have more children later. I don't want them now. So she agrees. And he said, you know what, Even I'll, I'll do it. I'll do the abortion. I'll do oh, you God. a salad. Wait, were abortions legal back then, do you know? No. Okay. No, so, uh, ugh. so on Christmas Eve. Oh, why Christmas did they Eve, do that? I know. Um, Holmes says, all right, now's the day. Now's the time. Mm. And it takes her to the basement of the castle to these, like, surgical tables that are down there. And she thinks he's, a, like, a proper doctor. So she's like, oh, yeah, yeah this is good. And he held... A cloth of chloroform over her and 
he killed her by like overdosing her on the chloroform and she was like beating at him like scratching (gasps) him trying to get him to stop yeah but he and that's like a thing of his he loves like the control and he just liked the idea that like even though she was fighting back like she couldn't overcome him because right. he was stronger and like that kind of got him off I guess that's so yeah <gasps> so what? that is her like official death is like overdose from chloroform um because he like smothered her to death with yeah it. Um, so neighbors started coming to see Julia and Pearl the next day on Christmas. And they're like, Merry Christmas, where are they? And he said, oh, they left home right away to go see their family. Wait, where's Pearl? Pearl is, uh, oh? dead. Pearl. Yeah. Um, so, well, there was never any, they never found, um, a body for Pearl, but it's assumed that he killed her. They he shipped a trunk off the next day, and it's assumed that her body oh, was in the trunk. trunk. Yeah. I thought you said chunk. I'm like chunk no, of what? No. Oh god. <laughs> chunk of pearl. No. Oh god. <laughs> that was my first thought. No. Oh. So. so uh, sad. Yeah. Sad. But just after Christmas. Poor like Ned. Day, I know. Oh yeah, Ned never finds out what happens because no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he I does mean, eventually. eventually. Eventually he does, but yeah. Um, so just after Christmas, Charles Chapel, which is one of his buds, um, comes to the castle. And he is an articulator, which is the art of stripping the flesh from human bodies and oh. reassembling the bones to form complete skeletons for displays in doctor's offices and labs. No way. So, Full circle. Yeah. Um... And at that time, there was a, like we said before, there was a heavy demand for cadavers to study in medical places, and they didn't really ask any questions when you gave them material. So Holmes offered his friend, Charles, um, Julia's body. He's like, I'll pay you $36 to take care of this. That's quite a bit of money for back then, right? Yeah. Um, and Chapel said, this is a quote, the body, which is Julia's, looked like that of a jackrabbit which had been skinned by splitting the skin down the face and rolling it back off the entire body. What? Yeah, that's not that same. Wait, that's what H.H. H. Holmes did to her? Yeah, the after he what? after he killed her. So postmortem. How can you do that to someone that you are so infatuated with? I know. Just... That, it's like a sexual thing. Yeah. Like... How is his, there is some, I don't know. My mind is just being blown right now. Okay, go on. It's disgusting. So he offers his friend, again, $36 to clean the rest of the bones in the skull from what he already mutilated. And he's like, hey, return to me her skeleton. And his friend is like, okay. So he cleans off the rest of the bones and everything, gives the skeleton of Julia back to Holmes, and Holmes then sells Julia's skeleton to Hanman Medical College for a ton of money. And it, I, it never said how much, but, like, it said triple the amount, or well over triple the amount of $36 that he paid. Do you think that skeleton has been tracked down since then? I don't know. Like, is her skeleton still 
I mean, I, I don't know. Like, how they, long do people keep that around? Right. How long do those last? I feel like, you know, they use it they or they preserve it, right? Yeah, usually. So I feel like they can last a pretty long time. Yeah. So what if it's still floating around out there? don't know that'd be really interesting of like tracking down yeah the dna of right victims in the past you know that's yeah. interesting i was in when i was in college we had one in our in our classroom a real one i think i feel there like were definitely real skulls but i don't know Whoa. i don't know if there was, it was that we had a full skeleton but i don't know if it was a real one that's crazy because i know like no way in like high school you'd have like a plastic one or something. I I think now. Oh yeah. Like, no. But in college I could see it. Yeah. I what? Yeah. I mean, I had to learn about the sutures and everything. Anyway. Oh yeah, those. Okay. I have no idea. I, I'm a nurse, so I was in. Uh, I had to take anatomy classes, so I know something. Yeah. I can talk if we ever have anatomy to talk about. I can. Yeah, Casey's here for the, the facts. <laughs> I can that. give some, <laughs> some random body facts. Um, so, in January 1892, the Doyle family... So this is, you know, they were... Pearl and Julia were murdered on Christmas Eve. And in January, this new family moves into their space. And they found dishes and Pearl's clothing all over the place and it looked like someone had left like in a rush but still left all their belongings and um Holmes changed the story at that point that Julia had gone into hiding to keep Pearl from her husband because that makes sense right because Ned was such a bad father yeah yeah such dangerous guy this Ned character yeah so people keep inquiring for Julia and for Pearl and he always tells them I don't know where she went anymore because she had to go into hiding and it's not until he's caught that anyone finds out about them wow and that's the end of part one because there's a ton more the hotel's not even open at this point oh my gosh (laughs) so in part two we'll get to all the stuff that went in the hotel but there was just so much that I had to split it up Right. And I'm taking this all from a book called Devil in the White City, which is about him. Mm-hmm. And it's a super good book. So this is like the halfway point of the book at this point. So okay. I thought it'd be a good spot here to end it. Wow. I on that. Yeah, I, that is a yeah, I I I'm <laughs> speechless. I'm I'm really interested to hear the rest of this. You know, I've heard of H. H. Holmes, but I just don't know the whole story of H. H. Holmes. Yeah. So hearing all these details of how sick he was, but then at the same time, how intelligent he was. Yeah. It's scary. And it makes me, you know, the 1800s was a really interesting time just as far as, um, you know, things were really up and coming and it would have been really interesting to live during that time. But I am grateful to be living in the time that we are living in now where it's a lot harder to just leave a city and change your name and have yeah. all these debts following you without any consequence. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, he got away with a lot so far. He will continue to for a time. All right, well. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to have some pizza, right? Oh, yes. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And this is A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder. Thanks for listening.